Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to welcome you to a new season of the podcast. This season, I bring you some of the most important embodied people in my life. From all over the world, people I've met along my journey, I thought, hey, why not share them with the world? The following is a conversation with Lucy Bradley, master herbalist practicing in Glasgow. Lucy and I met in our master's program, and this was our first catch-up after many years of not too much communication. So tune in to hear about Lucy's story and where it's led her, as well as towards the end when we get really meta and kind of hack the issues with health today. This will definitely be one that you'll want to listen all the way through. Sounds like my ideal conversation okay. to start the day. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Um, so, Luce, you and I met eight years ago, seven years ago, in our Masters of Science in Ethnobotany at the University of Kent in Canterbury. And uh, quickly fell into enjoying each other's company and learning with and from each other. And um, I know a lot has changed in your life since then, going back to Africa, not only for your master's field research with the Maasai, correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also having a child and birthing a new <laughs> little soul into the world. And you've been in, in mommy, mommy world as well as um, really setting up a space that's your own uh, there in Glasgow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, kind of yeah like solidifying your feet on the ground as a herbalist and you are undoubtedly one of the best herbalists I know um so if anyone's in Glasgow there's that but for worldwide worldwide I treat (laughs) I treat remotely as well come on let's not limit it ah very good oh I love it very good so worldwide um (laughs) yeah fits in on on how you would let's say phrase your background or describe yourself or really put into words the bias that you're speaking from so um yeah I'm so glad to be reconnecting with you as well I always I always knew that our lives had some kind of parallelism in it with the work Mm. that you do and the work that I do so that's cool to be reconnecting um, it's really interesting because I think that my my bias has definitely changed over the past two decades because I come from a very conservative family um, and very kind of heteronormative and um, and conforming. You know, there was like there's nothing about my mum and dad that are um, pushing boundaries too much. And a really academic background. Um, you know, I went to a private school from being four years old and uh, just kind of led my life as I was as I was told to. And then mm-hmm. um, did sciences um, mm-hmm. at, a, at a level. So very much like everything that I, I had learned uh, up until being kind of 20 was very much based in academia and that's what was true and that what that's what was real and biology was at the the basis of everything and then when I was 18 um, I decided to take a gap year rather than going straight to university and I went to New Zealand and Mm. for some reason I had said to the people with whom I did my gap year just send me to the kind of most extreme placement that you've got without knowing what that would be. And then they uh, put me at the oldest Maori boarding school in New Zealand. So Mm. I went from like this white, heteronormative, conservative academic background to being like, yeah, just so deep in Maori culture and what they were doing a lot of at that school and why I'm talking about this is because I was telling someone about it the other day and it made me realize that that was really pivotal for me mm. in terms of changing like my worldview 
basically and they were mm-hmm. all about being connected with nature and living they're trying to reconnect the kids to their ancestry and their history politically environmentally um biologically on, on on every level so I did so many amazing things with them and it really sparked something in me in one particular moment that I remember was being we did this um 10-day bush hike we were in the middle of the bush like we we walked in and we walked out and we visited some marae which is like the homestead and they were deep in the bush and uh at one particular homestead they did uh their kids did a haka which is their traditional song and dance mm-hmm. and all the people from the marae all the men and women from the marae in the bush joined in and it was it it was like some kind of sacred sacred ceremony i can still see it in my mind's eye and the kind of goosebumps that i got from that and this kind of this sense of something else kind of came to life and I started to understand that health was not just about the physical health of the human, but the health of the community and the people around them. You know, so whoever mm. you surround yourself with and whatever environment you're in, that dictates how your physical, emotional and mental health is going to be. And that also that the health of an individual can be positively influenced by the good health of others around them, you know, and and it was that that kind of started to change things and drove me more towards being interested in people whereas previously I'd been kind of like oh animals and biology anyway I went on to study a, um, to do a three-year degree in zoology um, mm. at, Leeds, at Leeds University and it was a bit of a catapult going from being with those people in New Zealand that I felt such a deep connection with like that it it triggered something deeper in me that I hadn't previously been aware of and then going back to university at 19 was kind of like what the hell am I doing here anyway (laughs) I did love studying zoology because um what I remember kind of is like systems ecology that was the kind of thing that really got me thinking and really got me going like you know and even when people talk about biology I just heard something this morning um, from one of my daughter's cartoons that she's watching like the thing about biology <laughs> and what's, what's interesting is as they talk about the importance of connection between species so mm-hmm. ecological dependency you know so you mm-hmm. need one species in order to maintain another which then has a knock-on effect so through biology even though it's a science they talk about interconnection you know, and a lot of people know that and understand that and can rationalise that, yet they can't contextualise that in themselves. You know, they still like have this reduced attitude about themselves and their health. So I really enjoyed studying biology and um, I just, yeah, immersed myself in it as much as possible. Dreaming of Africa, I remember saying to my mm. dad, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and be a zoologist in the Serengeti you know had a, mm. had a real thing about uh, big mammals and my dad said to me over my dead body mm. <laughs> and how so did that make you feel well it just makes me laugh because um yeah at the time I was like yeah maybe that's not a so sensible idea but I never let it go <laughs> you know I never and it mm-hmm. never went it never went from me and mm-hmm. um yeah, did my completed my degree, and in the last year of my degree, um, I went and worked on an organic farm in California, in South South California, and that was another one of those moments in my life where I kind of reconnected with people and saw something different. And at that point, I really, um, I then started to see like connections between humans and the land because of course when you're working on an organic farm you can't help but see that and being in California that people's attitudes are so different to British attitudes Mm. in terms of like what's possible and it was the first time I really got exposed to alternative modalities of health and you know Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like this 20 20 year old wide-eyed girl going oh my god I didn't even know about any of this stuff and the people who run the farm were really they they I I attribute 
where I am now to them because they mm. realized that you could have autonomy over your health mm-hmm. because they knew they never visited doctors they never you know they just didn't have anything to do with that kind of stuff they always whenever they had a physical problem they thought about their spiritual well-being and what was going on around them and so they took a totally different approach and they were really, really into herbs and they were really into basically everything natural. They used loads of different modalities. They were really into chanting. They, I can't quite remember mm-hmm. what it was, but they practiced or followed a specific kind of Indian religion. They practiced yoga. They did chanting and meditation and they looked after their spiritual health. And that, that was the first time that I'd really met people that were interested in looking after their emotional and spiritual health as well as their um, physical health, that that was Mm -hmm. as equally as important. And, um, yeah, it was cool because I just realised, oh, my God, I I need to have control over my own body and I need to have control over my own health. And I was getting into looking at my own health as well. I'd had some underlying chronic health issues since being about 16 and mm-hmm. that being in California then gave me the confidence when I came back to the UK to finish my final year at university to then be like, do you know what, I'm going to sort this out myself. Like mm-hmm. the the options that I've been given by the doctor aren't good enough and it's not working. And this problem is not just a physical problem. So then I started getting into body work. I started getting massage. That was another kind of transformation and uh, using herbs and I bought my first book on herbal medicine and uh, I just mm. it was like I opened it and I was just like yes this is it <laughs> this is it I I just thinking oh my god like I've studied biology you know through school yeah I've never thought about medicinal plants like no one had ever told me about medicinal plants mm. and um yeah it was just like this yeah it was amazing and I started sorting out my own health problems ironically I did go to see a herbalist and I really didn't like them and I really Mm. didn't like how they worked because it was it was so I felt like it was so superficial what they were doing was that they were just trying to provide me with a herbal alternative to the pharmaceuticals and even though I didn't Mm -hmm. know it at the time that was not what I was interested in you know I wanted Mm -hmm. to go deep look at deeper imbalances that were contributing towards my physical health symptoms Mm -hmm. so that was it and then um I finished my university and I kind of had an idea that lots of people were saying oh zoology you're not going to be able to get into that in Africa is extremely competitive you need to do internships you need to do this you need to do that and I was thinking nah you know I'm not going to do that but I was like but I am going to study herbal medicine I just decided one day like I realized that you could be a professional herbalist. It was like a light bulb moment. Mm. And, uh, and then I looked on the internet, you know, studying herbal medicine UK, and this course came up in Glasgow. And I just read through it, and everything that it said, I was like, yep, yep, yep. Even though I had no idea, I had no idea what that would be like. Mm-hmm. So there and then, to age 23, I just decided to apply. And I got a place. And, uh, yeah, 24, age 24, I started doing my herbal medicine degree. And yeah, maybe the rest is history. It was an incredibly intense four years <clears throat> because the school that I studied at called the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine, which unfortunately is no longer here, mm-hmm. um, they integrated science with art so mm-hmm. they really took that they they took those two approaches and it I was at a huge advantage right because I'd done science a levels I'd done a bachelor's degree a science degree you know so I was really was it was easy for me to do that in terms of the science stuff but everything else oh my god I had I was just like what the hell are these people talking about all this all the energetic stuff um, you know the food and nutrition and the more we also studied um, they incorporated into our training uh, 
Ayurvedic medicine. So we had to do components of training in Ayurvedic medicine. We had to study mm -hmm. traditional Chinese medicine. We had to study Galenic medicine. And mm -hmm. then we also did what's called Gertian science. So we were looking at plants through our embodied experience. So we every single plant mm -hmm. that we learned about, we did a what's called a sensory tea tasting and and it was like connecting with your intuition and I remember just sitting there thinking I am no good at this I don't know how to do this I'm not intuitive I'm not um, you know kind of all of these things I was not because of the background that I came from but it was like because of that those other experiences that I'd had it, it was like it was it was like that little bit of me was like trying to go I'm here I'm here but I wasn't listening mm. And the more that we did mm -hmm. those sensory tastings, the more that that became really important to me. And and I started to realize about the knowledge that we had inside of ourselves about medicinal plants, you know, and how powerful that mm -hmm. was and how easy it was to learn about plants through this technique. So, mm -hmm. so then plants, that was it. Like plants then, then became the route through which I explored life I guess and uh, qualified 2008 mm. and then surprise mm -hmm. surprise guess what happened Africa popped its head up again you know and <laughs> by, by chance I got um, an opportunity to go to Tanzania in East Africa with another organization teaching about uh, first aid and uh, mm -hmm. I was at, I was at a fair trying to promote my business and and there was Africa going, come to me. So, yeah, I went to Tanzania and uh, taught, taught first aid in a really rural area. And what struck me most was just how poorly people were. And I had this preconceived idea that, that, um, that they had a very strong practice of traditional medicine. So it's like, well, why aren't you using this? Like, why aren't people using herbs? Why don't people have health over autonomy over their health? And then like linking that into like political history, I started to understand why people were so sick. And I just, mm -hmm. I decided that I wanted to find out everything that I could about herbal remedies that were being used in Africa for treating mm -hmm. things like typhoid, um, typhoid, cholera, malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, skin problems, digestive disorders. And that was it. I just something just twigged the first time that I went to Tanzania something again got got sparked in me that I was like this is where I need to be this is what I need to be doing this is where my greatest passion lies and it was like that experience of another culture similar to the one that I'd had in New Zealand that was just like this is what has been missing from my life that I hadn't had this kind of cultural experience or something deeper in myself that wanted that that I hadn't got from my own European lifestyle and so I contacted loads of people and said what do you know about medicinal plants in Africa and as it turns out someone at my at the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine had done their thesis on uh, Artemisia annua which is a herb that treats malaria mm -hmm. it's a Chinese herb that treats malaria and I was like what and so th there all of a sudden was all this information from people that I knew and it just was so easy for me to get into that and this lady Jenny who'd written her thesis she'd actually been a nurse in Tanzania for 25 years missionary nurse and she had close links with lots of people who were working in sustainable development with medicinal plants and she was just like I'll just connect them to you and that that for me was really unusual because that's not how it works in Britain like it's not you don't just it, it you, it's like you have to work for your connections you know <laughs> whereas in Tanzania mm -hmm. I just she just was like don't worry just email these people and they will get back to you and they'll be interested and I was like uh okay and I did and and they were just so welcoming and you know they're like oh that's so cool that you're a medical herbalist and I got connected with this organization called Action for Natural Medicine Animed mm -hmm. and they're a charitable organization based in Germany and they are working they are kind of leading the field in sustainable development through herbal medicine and medicinal plants and um, I just emailed them uh, this guy called Keith 
and um, yeah, just emailed him and explained what I'd been doing and what I was interested in. And he emailed me back and, and I just said to him in the email, I want to come and work for you. And he emailed me back and he said, do you want to go to Zimbabwe? Um, <laughs> do you want to go to Zimbabwe next year? And I was just like, yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting, I was living in Edinburgh at the time, and I remember sitting in a cafe, in a vegetarian cafe called Hedderson's, reading that email and literally like jumping out my seat, like thinking, this is it. You know, like what an incredible (laughs) experience as a medical herbalist, as a Western trained medical herbalist to then be able to go and work with and teach with um, traditional healers, shamans, doctors, nurses, priests, um, people working within the church. And I just was so excited. I remember phoning my mum and saying to her, I'm going to Zimbabwe. And she was just like, this is fantastic. Mm. and so I'd already had a trip planned back to Tanzania I'd done two trips by then actually and that was just doing it like just connecting with people who were working in community projects predominantly growing Artemisia growing and propagating harvesting and processing Artemisia annua and it was amazing because not only when I did that field trip to do the research I wanted to to find out more not only were A, the people super welcoming and it was really easy to meet people and get connected into that, they had a lot of respect for me because I was a Western trained herbalist. So they just mm. were like, yeah, I was I was emulated to the status of doctor immediately, mm-hmm. which is incredible because my experience in the UK was like, what's a what's herbal medicine? This chronic battle between saying to people what's a herbalist I don't even know what that is you know you're some kind of witch who lives in the woods wearing tie-dye and compared Mm. to Africa people were incredibly respectful and um, interested and um, they let me like doctors who were working in an integrated way with herbal medicine would let me sit in on their clinical practice and were asking me for advice from kind of a western Mm. perspective and I was just like holy smoke like this is great like the amount you know I'd spent four years studying we did a minimum of 600 hours of clinical training during my herbal mm. medicine but the amount that I learned in that one field trip to Africa being mm-hmm. with people and witnessing their clinical practice was just like so much more than what I'd learned academically so like that I kind mm-hmm. of felt like the learning really began and then um, yeah, so I started teaching with Animed and travelled to Malawi. Uh, I was running seminars in Zambia, uh, Tanzania, Kenya. And, uh, you know, just, just had the most incredible, inspiring time. And it wasn't just about, um, it wasn't just about teaching about herbal medicine. It was about working with people and listening to people's stories and understanding cultural contexts and that whole thing that links back to my first trip to New Zealand about that the health of the people was an ecological issue as well as a spiritual and community issue like that what I had learned up until then about what poverty was what absence of health was they they were those boundaries were really being pushed so I started to really reframe how I was thinking about things and I got mad into African political history. I just was like devouring books about African political history to, to mm. get a better understanding about what was going on. So then I started to understand so much more about ill health from a political context, which links back to this, the need for autonomy, you know, the need for health mm-hmm. autonomy. And then that led to my, my master's yeah. degree. Someone, I remember being in Zimbabwe and talking to these group of women. All the people who had worked for Animed previously were men. So mm. they were missing out on this whole side of health relating to women and children because mm-hmm. predominantly in Africa, it's the women and children. Like women's health is not spoken about with men. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just not part and parcel of it. And there's so many things I was saying to Keith. Oh, I just found out about this. Oh, I just found out about that. What do you know about this? And he was like, in the however many years he'd been doing that, 20 something years that he'd been doing that, he had never heard or thought about some of the things relating to women and children. And he was like, Lucy, 
this is really special because now we're starting to learn a lot more about how we need to work with women as well. And that catalyzed conversations and relationships among lots of other people working for Animed who were then relating to women and the women started talking more about their health problems. And interestingly, like Artemisia angry is not just an anti-malarial plant, it's an anti-tumor plant as well. It also improves uh, the function of the reproductive system too. So lots of, it was coming to light that lots of women were having reproductive issues particularly relating to, well, people were saying that it was to do with the chemicals that were being used. So it was causing things like uterine fibroids and hormone imbalance and infertility, and that this was more of an issue than they had realized. And But that they already mm. had this amazing medicinal plant, Artemisia annua, to use that. And a lot of the women were already using that, but they hadn't been telling Animed that's what they were using it for. Mm -hmm. just kind of come to their yeah. through their own through their own observations you know because they were taking artemisia annua for treating malaria and for keeping their general health good but because of the way in which it works with the liver and the blood they were noticing that their menstrual cycle was improving or that they were able that their menstrual problems were being alleviated as a as a consequence of taking the artemisia annua and then they were working with Women who were having difficulties getting pregnant were saying we're getting pregnant. Um, people were having yeah less less menstrual bleeding issues relating to fibroids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it just went it just went on and on. And I was really interested in people's stories. Like it's it's always been about people's stories, listening to stories. And in Zimbabwe on that particular trip, I just couldn't get enough of their stories and started interviewing people because I, I knew that like in a group setting it wasn't enough I wasn't getting enough information I wasn't able to have that one-to-one -one connection with them which was what was needed to delve into their story and so I mm -hmm. started interviewing people and particularly relating to their health but of course everything else comes up too you know and it was kind of like doing a herbal consultation so it was easy for me to do that but it wasn't just about their specific health problems it was about plants that mm -hmm. they were using practices that they cultural practices that they were using that maybe we didn't know about and I kind of was telling Keith oh I'm doing this I'm, I'm collecting these interviews and typing them up and I'm just learning so much came back to the UK and was telling people you know we're doing like quite a lot of traditional work for um, Animed because lots of herbalists in the UK didn't know that they existed and that they were doing this kind of community development work mm -hmm. and someone had said to me do you know that that's ethnobotany and I was like <laughs> this is just herbalism like this is herbalism because herbalism was always so much more than just sitting with a patient and learning about their health issues you know the paradigm is totally different from western allopathic medicine you know the story is part and parcel mm -hmm. of, of that of the kind of herbalist paradigm and then I looked up ethnobotany mm -hmm. and started reading loads of ethnobotanical books and um yeah, started getting into Wade Davis and Mark Plotkin and Richard Richard Evan Schultz and lots of people who'd been doing ethno botanical work. And then I was like, I need to study. I need to formalise this. I thought, oh, you know, coming back to being brought up in this really normative way where things are rationalised through academic study, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this further and uh, do a do a master's degree. So I did. That's where I met you. <laughs> I love it. And then do you want to give a fast forward on on the past seven, eight years? <laughs> yeah, so now, so my daughter was born. So during my field work in Tanzania, so I decided to do my field work. Had a re Obviously, Africa had become a big thing for me and African medicinal plants, you know, was kind of the field that I wanted to explore the most. So I did decided to do my thesis research in Tanzania on the transmission of knowledge amongst um, ethnic minorities, uh, the factors influencing how uh, medicinal plant knowledge was transmitted through, mm -hmm. through, through youth. And uh, I met the father of my daughter and um, 
without knowing that we were going to have a baby together. And I kind of just started to decide, you know what, this is this is where I want to be. Tanzania is really where I want to have my life. And this is this is what I want to be doing, kind of herbalism mixed with ethnobotany. I didn't mm. want to be in clinical practice. I just didn't. Clinical practice wasn't the clinical practice in the way in which I knew it wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought I'll do that. And um, as I was completing my thesis research in Tanzania I also attended a permaculture training I did a permaculture diploma on the permaculture diploma because um, I was asking them why don't you teach about medicinal plants so funny and um, the teacher who is American this really cool guy called Steve Whitman was like uh of course we want to learn about medicinal plants like it's so important ecologically and how the the model of permaculture is a really good model to use for health and for life in general like lots of people have been doing work about permaculture principles can help relationships and um so it was the application of permaculture was much broader than i thought it was and it happened to be that the organization who read the permaculture diploma we're an organization called Food Water Shelter. And um, mm-hmm. I actually ended up getting a job with them as their project manager. So once I completed my master's thesis, I then just packed everything up, decided to leave the UK and went to Tanzania and to do this uh, project management position, which was an incredible opportunity kind of way beyond what I had the skill set for but I was pretty I was yeah I was pretty keen to get some some different experience so I did that uh got pregnant um had my daughter and uh she had the first year of her life out there and we were organizing permaculture trainings we were doing herbal med teaching on herbal medicine uh project management after some time, my my personal health really started to deteriorate, as it would as a first-time mum and uh, doing a full-time job as a project manager for a, in a third sector. I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that time. And I decided after a year um, that, uh, yeah, my health was suffering too much, so I needed to come back to the UK. Things weren't going well in lots of other ways in my life so I kind of just thought I needed to get out in order to look after myself so I did I came back to the UK basically destitute (laughs) I had no direction my physical mental health was terrible had a you know 12 month old baby was by myself and uh, still had all my training and expertise though so just slowly slowly decided to get back into clinical practice but from a totally different perspective that um my understanding of health had really changed and what was important and uh yeah so set up my clinical practice again 2015 and uh dedicated my time to just being in clinical practice almost full time and started working I really something had changed from being a project manager as well because I got I really got into entrepreneurship as well and business was much more business minded I think that doing the project management job gave me a lot of the skills that I hadn't got in my herbal medicine training because although I was a clinical practitioner I had no idea how to run a business and uh, finances and stuff like that and the project management really gave me a solid foundation in that so I came back um, in a kind of win-win situation so really started looking at business and the, the main thing that struck me was to really get the message of herbal medicine out there and to and the education and it came back to autonomy to wanting people to have autonomy and I felt like the only way that that could be achieved was through education really really dedicating time to education and uh built up an apothecary so built up a big uh dispensary herbal dispensary lived in a tiny little flat at the time and was just buying more and more tinctures to be able to supply people and to get herbal medicine out there and that just grew and grew and grew until last year I developed a product range because so many people were saying that they didn't want to take herbal they didn't want to take pharmaceutical medicine but what was the alternative 
So here I am now in this position whereby I have a clinical practice. I have a, a pre-packaged range of therapeutic grade herbal medicines. And yeah, just doing loads of educational workshops and seminars and running an online herb course that's launching in August. Just to, to show people like it's not just that there's an alternative, that there's a different paradigm, a different lens through which we can look at health. I love it. I love it. I love it all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was so much there. Um, thank you. It's a you good story, right? <laughs> it's a great story. It's a great story. And I think the first thing that I want to kind of awaken people to who are listening to this is our own ability to see what one could call a hero's journey or um, just really our life trajectory. Of, of where we come from in terms of what we've been exposed to uh, earlier in life of our own kind of memoir-based realization of each step on our path of what, how we perceived the world at that time versus now. And then that mixed in to like an innate petience or a knowing that you had, whether it was Africa or whether it was the interconnectedness of all beings um, that you first found through animals, whatever it was, that like these were symbols. They were foreshadowing more or less in your life. And so for all of us listening to your story, Lucy, it's this powerful ability to step back and, and hear yours and then hopefully reflect on our own hero's journey and our own memoir story, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, so I just, I, I guess I want to acknowledge that first and, and thank you. And it's... <laughs> it's beautiful to to hear yeah what's really interesting about that is that I often ask patients why did you choose herbal medicine and they recount similar stories you know like something like oh my granddad had an allotment and you know that was my happiest place and um this they always say I just knew I just Mm -hmm. knew you know, and something that is really important to me at the moment and something that I'm doing more and more of is the work, the kind of workshops that I do are based around your innate knowledge of medicinal plants based on the fact that we co-evolved with medicinal plants. So we have specific receptor cells in our bodies for chemical constituents that are only present in medicinal plants, you know, and, and that Doing the sensory tea tastings as a workshop or as an experience is so powerful because it it allows people, brings into their conscious mind that connection and that knowing that they had all along and that now they can trust it because they have an embodied experience of it. You know, it's that interesting thing between knowing intellectually or cerebrally and then really knowing like really feeling it in your body and it being part of you yes 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 so this I mean this is where our work this is the heart of it because that's been my entire career whether it's consulting and emotional intelligence or whether it's understanding about what's good for you, quote unquote, uh, of making it embodied and giving people the portals to be able to experience it from their own experience rather than knowledge, which is someone else's wisdom, start to accrue their own wisdom through experience. And so 100%, 100%. And um, I mean, like I'm eating actually bitter herbs right now. And I'm thinking of you because I remember that time when we were like sitting in my steps, I think in Canterbury. And, and you told me like, you can't just swallow the bitter herbs that part of the experience, it must have been about Artemisia or something, that part mm. of the experience of the healing is imbibing the bitterness, that mm. that's what secretes, right, bile from the gallbladder and, and begins, quote unquote, the digestive juices to flow. And so in that kind of example, eating the bitter herbs, if they're in a salad, earlier on, like there's a, there's a whole, not only sensory, oral, perceptive but then medicinal is the outcome of that experience. And um, I think a lot of the isolation stemmed from um, pharmaceutical allopathy, where you know mm. it's made in a laboratory. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your psyche. It has nothing to do with your physical body or how you're doing it. You just must take with food or whatever it mm. says. It's not like take with food when under the care of someone who loves you. <laughs> You know, and and so your your emphasis on the environmental aspect of health is, is of course, 
um, of the utmost and anyone listening to this podcast definitely is attuned to that uh, from everything else that they've listened to. And um, yeah, yeah. So I love that. And I, I remember you telling me about the tasting experiences mm. that you had had in your own journey through that. And it's like mm. your own awakening is what is now allowing you to have and hold that space of awakening for others. Absolutely. And that's like, I think that's what makes me unique in terms of being a clinical practitioner because um my the the way that I practice is is about oh my daughter's here just on a call um yeah (laughs) so part of it is is like is saying to the patient you tell me you know you tell me what's going on for you for you and you tell me what your body is trying to tell you you know and I can help you to reveal that because I don't know you know Mm I am not you I don't know what your body like I can help you to interpret or Uh potentially give some indication of potentially what's going on because I have a different set of language and a different set of skills that allows me to to, to, to inform you, to give you a different piece of information. And as soon as they receive that information, they always say that makes total sense. You know, and it's about, mm-hmm. it's thin with allopathic doctors. They're not using different language. They're not, they're not listening to the patient. They're not waiting for feedback. And this is the thing with, with using herbal medicine and this kind of paradigm in which I work, that it's about listening you know, and I say mm-hmm. to the patient, you know, I'm going to give you these herbs. I don't know what's going to happen. I know what those herbs can do, but specifically uh-huh. to you and your system, I don't know what's going to happen. So let's wait and see. And, you know, that requires so much trust. And that is amazing mm-hmm. that, that people can let me have that trust, you know, and me trusting them to, to say, like, it's OK. Don't don't worry about it. I'm here for you. You know, but also that when they come back with feedback about the herbs, what they learn just from the feedback that they get from taking the herbs is transformative. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not just about the herbs doing their, their work, which they do so powerfully. It's about that person reconnecting with whatever it is or listening deeper to what it is that their body is trying to tell them through an embodied you know, it's like m- most people come to me when they're kind of at the end of the road or they just, you know, it's the, the picture's too kind of tangled and messy and they, they don't understand what's going on anymore and they just kind of defragment it for them and uh-huh. break it down and then allow them to listen. Mm-hmm. And then they start to understand. One hundred percent. Like this is I mean, this is the story that I've been singing for years and literally the introduction to the podcast for the first four seasons was your body is talking let's listen and right like that yeah. is it's it, the underlying premise in all of this and and in hearing you say this now what's coming up for me is I'm gonna go really meta everyone so big picture perspective come with me here <laughs> that, um, this <laughs> this, <laughs> this trust that you and I sell effectively because with me it's fasting I have such deep trust in the human body's ability to heal itself if given the time and space to do so through the process of fasting. And so thereby, that's what I'm selling is my trust in fasting. I will stay here with you. And every time your mind and your dogmatic conditioning of an allopathic uh, mechanical view of the body comes up, I will hold you in my connection to the wisdom of your body. Right. So I am effectively selling that trust. And so then what comes from that is this is the meta part, understanding that actually the disease, because in in my naturopathy training, we have unity of cure and unity of disease, that there's really only one thing that's wrong and there's really only one way to fix it. And so that thing that's wrong is what I'll get to medically, but the thing to fix it is allowing it to come back to balance. So whether that's through fasting or allowing the plants to fill in what's not filled in or seducing from the body what it wants or however kind of reconnection to nature, whether that's natural state of being through fasting or whether that's actual nature through herbal medicine or through being out in the sunshine or through taking an air bath or, a, a, you know, it's like that, that's, that's nature here, which is my root. But um, coming into it with uh, that understanding of maybe, you know what, maybe 
the disease of humanity is this lack of trust because trust is what's given in any kind of indigenous society as a deeper reason for being, a purpose. So religion feeds this to us on a judgmental, superficial level today, especially Judeo-Christian religions. Whereas in the past, you had religion imbibed throughout the culture and there was no ability to separate. And so you were living in this space of trust. You had purpose to be, and you were here, right? We're, I mean, we're trained anthropologists, so we know this very well. It's something that I try to <laughs> reconnect people to. Purpose and tribe through astrology, that's a lot of my astrology practice and medical astrology practice, and it's psychosomatic as much as anything else. But um, regrounding people in, a, in an ability to trust, which is why we're so stressed today because we we want to control everything we want to make sure it's right we think it's all a gamble mm. right that that like fate or fortune you know that kind of discussion is mm. such a, a disembodiment of purpose and self and and an experience of a spiritual being on this planet whether it's an animal being or a human being and so if that's what's at our root then maybe just the process of going through fasting in my case Mm. or going through herbs and seeing that they have an effect in your case is rebuilding that trust whatever that trust may be mm. I love it <laughs> I, love lecture. <laughs> I love it I love it and it's yeah. just yeah it just kind of opens up the conversation further because always when people are coming to me for herbal therapy they have to abstain like they have to cut the shit out of their lives you know mm -hmm. and that has to be food and it has to be relationships and it's about them coming back to themselves it's about this mm -hmm. space being created and it is and I, I hadn't really considered that about the trust but it's such an important part of it you know mm -hmm. to the, that you will be supported and a lot of my patients say like no one has ever listened like you have no one has ever held me like mm -hmm. you have and I don't mean physically held them you know that they've never felt mm -hmm. that supported to find their own way to health you know and that it's and, mm -hmm. and I definitely I'm not like it's my way or the highway I'm like you have to find your way and I will help you you know and and I do believe that everybody who comes to me comes to me for a reason you know mm -hmm. that they they have been drawn to me and I've been drawn to them and that that's part and parcel of that is building this relationship and something that you had said the other day when we when we talked mm -hmm. um was about um oh god now it's just popped out of my head but about this journey like through trust mm. like becoming the lawyer or the doctor or having the the one and a half kids and the white picket fence and this this is not at all how I mean we we could romanticize it and say ancient cultures perceived uh, success, or we could just say any kind of communal-based, non-individualistic culture perceived success. It would be success within the community, that the community itself was healthy and that the community itself raised itself up, not only in the level of health, but in their ability to communicate with one another, which we could call that. emotional intelligence, as well as their ability to take care and steward the yeah. environment in which they lived. And so when we see people in cities today who are, who are cloistered up in apartments, sick, on half a, ca a medicine cabinet of pharmaceuticals, you know, walking around in city streets that are polluted in one way or another, and right, the, the listenership of this podcast is highly international. So, but you know, people living in Bombay or Chengdu are hearing a very different variety of what's outside than people living in Zurich or Singapore mm. even. Mm. And so just like contextualizing and I mean, a driving force behind my career for a really long time because I am a revolutionary. And until I started rewriting preventative health paradigms for governments, I didn't understand why I was in the health field. But it was only when it came in on a political economy level that it started making more sense that truthfully, Me? we have an ability as humanity right now to, to wake up collectively Mm. and to you know take a big step forward for our entire community and the quote that i would share is is uh, by krishna morthy i hear money and money i'll put it i've got headphones on i'll put it on speaker then she can hear it okay She's ready good, good stuff for her to hear Hold everyone on, else bring your children <laughs> <laughs> bring your children <laughs> everyone got their kids Okay. Or the one and a half kids in the white picket fence. Mm -hmm. All right, so it's by Jidhu Krishna. All right, the quote is It is no measure of health 
to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Yeah. It's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And so when we feel the effect of the of this Maori call that is one of, let's say, the most well-known now ceremonial indigenous practices in the world, right? I think a, a video circulated a few years ago about um, a Kiwi wedding and the men in suits, all the best men came forward and did the haka. And it was just this, this earth bone shattering experience to witness that, to witness that togetherness, to witness that sense of purpose and that trust. And of course, then vibration and how that directs our blood flow, how it resynchronizes our brainwave states. Yeah. Hey, money wants to do the haka. <laughs> that, uh, it, it's, it's a huge awakening of that trust, which we as modern humanity have lost. Yeah. Yeah, mama. All right, well... <laughs> Well, Luz, I mean, we're at that we're at that mark where where I don't want to keep it too long for the listeners. And what I do know is that I want to have an episode two because we didn't even get to get into the mechanics of medicine. I know. So, what do you think about? We'll call it a day for now. Any last thoughts for the audience? Um, my last thoughts for the audience are to say that if you're interested in plants and if you have um if you have an inkling about plants than to follow that inkling and one way in which you might be able to do that is through my online herb learning course which is launching 19th of August and it is primarily about connecting through herbs through this embodied approach this sensory tea tasting which is a really unique and radical way to really reconnect with yourself and to learn about plants so it's a a win-win situation but trust your gut you know don't and and we have to be really careful about what that is and what that means but when you know it and when you feel it you will know Mm -hmm. Uh So, so go with it I love it all right so so many more explorations we'll talk about herbal medicine as it is in another podcast clearly this was one of the hero's journey in returning to trust (laughs) all of the answers and I love it so thank you for everyone listening and thank you Lucy thank you so much thank you for listening everybody (laughs) you enjoyed the podcast give a kiss to a money and one back okay I was listening to that for you if you learned from or moved by the episode pay it forward go to Apple now and leave a five star review so others can benefit Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good.